where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Welcome to The Messy Intersection. I'm your host, Diana Rice, and I'm a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a mom of two. Here on the show, we explore the messy place where your life and your needs are all mixed up with the ever-changing needs of your kids, all through a weight-inclusive anti-diet lens that aims to help you raise body-confident intuitive eaters and become one yourself. You can find me on Instagram at anti-dietkids, and I hope you'll also check out my free Facebook group, Raising Anti-Diet Kids, where we discuss these episodes and dive deep into the many challenging aspects of raising kids to view food and bodies in positive, constructive ways that we often weren't raised with ourselves. To inquire about working with me, whether for intuitive eating counseling for yourself or for help with feeding your child, visit my private practice website, tinyseednutrition.com. Before we dive in, a quick mention that the content on this show is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The views I express are my personal opinions and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. Let's hear today's episode. My guest today is Jackie Rogers, who is a registered dietitian nutrition coach and the owner of The Knowledge to Nourish. She helps parents ditch diet culture and become intuitive eaters as well as raise intuitive eaters. Let's hear from Jackie. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the Messy Intersection. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am super excited about this topic. I feel like this is something that, I don't know, like we, it's just not talked about that much. So no. I know that you and I both have some kind of strong <laughs> opinions on this Definitely. and I'm excited to get into it. But why don't you tell us about yourself and your family a little bit first? Sure. So yes, my name is Jackie Rogers. I am a registered dietitian and I own a virtual nutrition coaching practice called The Knowledge to Nourish. And I help moms become intuitive eaters and raise intuitive eaters. I'm also a mom myself. So I have two little ones, Isla, who's three going on four and Holden, who is almost eight months this week. Time is flying. I'm married to my husband, Eric. He's an airline pilot, and we live in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. We also have a little dog named Bert. So cute. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. So you and I started talking about this sugar issue, I think, when your older kid was maybe just starting solids or like maybe like one or two, and a lot of stuff was coming up for you with how much sugar you're then under two-year-old child could or should have. Can you tell us a little bit about how that unfolded for you and what your your headspace was at the time? Sure. Yes. So when I started feeding Isla initially, you know, my background's in pediatrics. So I was very excited to feed her. I thought I knew what I was doing going into it. And then I quickly realized that like, Maybe I didn't know the whole, like what I was doing. I was just questioning every little move I made. You know, whenever you're doing something for the first time, that's kind of what happens. Questions come up and I hated that feeling. I just, I wanted to feel confident. I wanted to know how to respond to her. You know, that's not, wasn't necessarily the what or, you know, the nutrition part of it, but it was the how, like how to respond when she would refuse or whatever, how to talk about food. So I started doing a lot of research. That's when I came upon Ellen Satter. And I also started following some dietitians on social media who talked about nutrition, which I thought was just really cool. And I just started absorbing everything. And that was really helpful. But also at the same time, hearing messages of, I had never heard of the recommendation of no sugar under, um, to like no, is like zero added sugar under two years of age. So at this time, the only recommendation was the American Heart Association's uh, recommendation, no sugar under two. And um, the dietitians I was following were, you know, promoting this recommendation and recommending some ways to avoid added sugar, ways to cook without added sugar and things like that, which is fine. But my first thought was kind of like, all right, I'm a dietitian. I can do this. I was also a stay-at-home mom at the time. So like, all right, I can make things from scratch and bake with bananas and applesauce. And, but then I kind of just, I quickly realized like you can't avoid 
zero added grams of sugar. I, you re- I started getting like kind of mad. Like this is unrealistic. This is unrealistic. And this is putting a lot of pressure on parents. And I think that it can cause more harm than good. This mm. recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So I think your kids are a little bit younger than mine. My oldest kid was born in the middle of 2015. And so these um, American Heart Association guidelines that we're talking about, and I'm not sure if I'll put a link to them, <laughs> but <laughs> they they break down by age group, the, the appropriate number of grams for each um, age group to have for added sugar, because um, according to the American Heart Association, there is a link between added sugar consumption and the onset of heart disease. And these are the only guidelines that were available at the time in 2016. And it was kind of um, like a big deal that they were saying under age two, like zero sugar at all. And with my kid being born in 2015, starting solids in 2016, at the time I was like, huh, (laughs) very similar situation to you. I was a dietitian. I really wanted to specialize in feeding kids in particular. And so on the one hand, I felt like I was supposed to do this right. But then on the other hand, it just didn't seem realistic to like, if my husband and I were out for donuts or something to like not give her any, like, I don't know, it just, right. it just felt weird. So I, I think if I'm recalling correctly, you said something like you, you didn't learn about this no sugar at all recommendation until your daughter was like one-ish, like had already been having some sugar. Exactly. So like maybe probably closer to 18 months, like before 18 months, but mm-hmm. uh, around that time frame. So yeah. So like I had already given her, well, she had a regular smash cake, mm-hmm. you know, I f- had no feelings about that. It was <laughs> yeah. like, that's normal. Yeah. And, um, and then you know, there have been instances where we were just out to ice cream. We gave her a couple looks of ice cream, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. Things that I was excited to share with her yeah. experiences. I was excited to share with her. And, you know, when I heard that guideline, I have a history of undiagnosed orthorexia, but I know what I experienced was orthorexia. And that happened in high school and kind of lingered throughout college and kind of like slowly got better. But when I heard this recommendation and you just started feeding Isla, I definitely think some of that came back. Like I had to do it perfectly. I was a a little obsessed about it. Something happened. So Isla started some daycare around 18 months of age and they very often had treats available, you know, for kids' birthdays, they bring them in, they did celebrations and it made me really uncomfortable and I'm not judging myself, but I took her out and I don't know if that was the right decision or not. I don't know what I would have done if I would do it differently today, but I definitely know it was causing me more stress and anxiety than it was worth. Let me just make sure I have the timeline right here. Feeding your first kid, everything's going well, getting licks of ice cream. You hear about this no added sugar under age two deal. And you start kind of realizing that she's getting a lot of sugar at daycare, among other places. Lots of anxiety and yada, 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 multiple factors involved. But you ultimately withdrew your kid from daycare in part because of the sugar she was getting there. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so tell, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your headspace at the time. Yeah. I think I was worried about, you know, that there was a little bit more to it. So it's like they provided snacks there and sometimes it would just be like a popsicle and like, okay, it was a popsicle, but then I was thinking like, she needs more than that. You know, it wasn't like enough. So there was like a little bit of that, but like I could have brought stuff in. Like I was just anxious around like feeding in general and like having control. It was really about like having control over it and like leaving it up to somebody else. And like you said, like wanting to do it right. And it definitely, I'm a perfectionist that I work on that all the time, but like I couldn't let it go enough to, you know, just say like, I really couldn't look at the bigger picture. I think that's Hmm. Yeah. And I I think we have to be careful to point out like how much of this is like, you know, you being at fault for being a person who wants control and how much of it is cultural messages 
of what your child should be getting versus what your real life situation was. I mean, I don't know what your situation was putting her in daycare, but plenty of people don't even have a choice that their kid needs to go to daycare. And so now those things are at odds of you've been told that this is best for her, but you know, the daycare is doing otherwise. And I, I find that with sugar in particular, this comes up a lot for parents because, I mean, you know, if the kid goes to daycare, stays home with you, there's always going to be like a point in time where the parent is no longer as in control of the child's diet as they formerly was. Like for some people, it could be the kid goes off to kindergarten for the first time and gets school lunch for the first time or whatever. I hear a lot of complaints about the snacks at sports practice and things like that. But like, there's going to come a time for everybody when what we buy at the grocery store is no longer the only thing going into the kid's body. And I'm just thinking about like, how do we reconcile that with the messages about nutrition that we're getting? Should we reconcile that? Because I'm just wondering, like, this is ridiculous. The only other option is to like, not put your kids in those situations, not go to daycare, not go to sports practice, right? right? Or, or I guess to like, single your kid out that like, well, everybody else can have a popsicle, but not my kid or something. Well, exactly. So when I brought up my concerns, they said, well, you can opt her out. Mm. And I was like, well, that's not happening. Yeah. I mean, she's not going to be like the only yeah. kid not eating popsicle. One of my kids has nut allergies, and once or twice at daycare, some parent has brought in a treat, and basically every kid gets to have a treat except for her, oh. and she's sitting at, like, at the table like wailing. She doesn't understand. We're and like, cue the mom guilt. Like I was supposed to leave like a box of Rice Krispie treats or something with the daycare so that they could give her that instead, and I didn't do it. And like the rest of the day, I'm like. <gasps> My baby didn't get a cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a similar recent story. I won't get into it, but I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, so it just puts us in a hard position, I, I guess. Yeah. So it sounds like you started yeah. doing some more research on like, is this the right way to go about it? Like, where were you at? And, and did you come around to kind of a new way of thinking? Yeah, definitely. So my first instinct was, I'm going to do this and protect her from sugar. (laughs) And then, which is crazy. And then it came around to like a little bit of anger, a little bit of like, I need to figure out why is this recommended? Is this even necessary? Like, you know, all those things. And then at the same time, I was actually starting the Knowledge to Nourish as a blog. And so I was doing a lot of research around that. And that is around the time when I came to the intuitive eating space and was exposing myself to that and learning a lot of those principles and realizing that I don't want to pass down my food and body issues to my daughter. So I need to get myself right, you know? So I'm realizing this and going into the intuitive eating space and then realizing that I want to raise a child who has a healthy relationship with food and body. And those recommendations for promoting a healthy, positive relationship with food can be at odds with these recommendations or these guidelines. I was kind of turning, initially turning this guideline into a rule, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so had to take a step back and and really look at the whole bigger picture. Right. And I see that a lot prior to rebranding to anti-diet kids. I called myself the baby steps dietitian and I was doing a lot of like, I'm a certified uh, lactation educator counselor. Like, you know, I got into this business to like help new moms navigate the whole deal here. And we have breastfeed for at least six months. Don't introduce solids until six months, you know, do the skin to skin context, like whatever, like there are, for good reason, there's information out there that um, I guess we could call it best practice, like, you know, helps us raise healthy kids. But this thing with the sugar is kind of like the breastfeeding deal of if we're trying to do that at all costs and is compromising our mental health, then is it what's best for the baby? Like, I think, did you mention earlier, like you you did all the homemade food and stuff, like yeah. spent a lot of time on that. sounds like, um, yeah. sounds kind yeah. of annoying <laughs> to be honest. I'm yeah. not saying let's, let's pop open, you know, a thing of pudding and use it instead of baby food, but right. you know, uh, a lot oh, of like, whether sure. it's like those, those Elmo bars or something like that, or yogurt, like, like those things generally have 
a little bit of added sugar in them. Yeah. This is a lot about privilege too, right? Like I had the privilege of staying at home and I could make those things. But then the other thing too is like, we should be looking at the food that we're feeding our babies and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, if there are two options and you can afford the option that has no added sugar, then go for it. But those items can sometimes be much more expensive. So that's the other thing. I was like, is this realistic? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I remember that very clearly. I think I even blogged about this <laughs> when <laughs> my uh, kid was one and a half. I had one blog post that I shared with you that I think the title of it was Why I'm Not Exactly Following the American Heart Association. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I was talking about, you know, the birthday cake and, you know, I yeah. wanted her to know that if mom and dad are having a donut, then like she doesn't have to be singled out. But at the same yeah. time, and I know that times have changed a little bit. I, I I remember looking at every baby yogurt on the market at the time, and they all had at least some added sugar. And I took matters into my own hands, and I was working full time at the time. <laughs> and yeah. I would, in my blender, put yogurt, and I had a recipe for this on my website yeah. yogurt, fruit. I think oats like that because like the fruit made it really watery. So the oats oats, like thickened it back up again. And then I would portion it out into like 16 little containers and, you know, send that to daycare every day. And she liked it. Now that I've had my second kid, my second Mm -hmm. kid adores just plain yogurt. And I'm like, why did I? Just buy plain yogurt. (laughs) I don't know if my first kid would have liked it. But, you know, we get we get in our heads about like really taking matters into our own hands. I know that, you know, even like baby food companies, now there are yogurts on the market that don't have any added sugar, I guess, because parents are paying more attention to these guidelines. But I also don't want to say that like, these are like big evil guidelines designed to make parents insane. No, (laughs) no. Um, It probably pushed baby food manufacturers to get some added sugar out of the products and things like that. Yeah. But I do think it's important also to acknowledge that Guidelines like this, they're not Mm -hmm. coming from a place of acknowledging what could or couldn't happen to a person's disordered eating trying to follow these. And then secondly, we don't have some like 80-year study that shows that kids who had sugar under age two get heart disease in their 60s or whatever. Right, (laughs) right. Right. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, So I, I... you know, I wasn't on the committee that made them, but I believe it was coming from a place of kids that young need a lot of different nutrients in their diets. And, you know, they've got a limited amount of calories that they even can take in. So let's make them nutrient dense calories. And then, you know, going back to like the food manufacturers, instead of making your baby food pouch 50% apples and 50% sugar or whatever, it puts a little bit more responsibility on them to uh, make the foods more nutrient dense, which is good because we're getting those nutrients into babies. Exactly. Um, exactly. But it actually reminds me of what we talk about a lot with adult intuitive eating is adding, not taking away, right? Like, yes, give babies nutrient dense food if you First of all, if you have it, if you can afford it, you can make it. Right, Um, exactly. But then if it's the birthday cake or the popsicle or something like that and parents get into different situations, it's like – it's so much easier to do this with your first kid, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. This is going to be totally different with my second. (laughs) The second kid sees the first kid who is um, enjoying this stuff and is like, hey, I want in on that deal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But we should mention that um, in the 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, they also adopted this guideline. So this is – Technically speaking, for all Americans, how you're supposed to feed your baby for best health. And here we are, two credentialed dietitians who are talking about not doing it. Um, But like, to be clear, we're not talking about like pouring pancake syrup over everything your kid eats, right? Right, right. It's like comes back to, I feel now and felt then that saying zero is very intense and unrealistic. And maybe it was designed to get food manufacturers to get some sugar out of, yeah. of, of our, you know. Although like 
release guidelines for food manufacturers in that exactly. case, right? Like, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like don't put this put the, on- You're putting on individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And individuals, there's something like 70% of women have experienced disordered eating at some point. So like if these yeah. are the people who are now becoming the mothers, we are yeah. putting that burden on people who either are currently in the throes of disordered eating or mm-hmm. might be in a situation like you where he thought you were done- <laughs> Right. Oh my and gosh, it brings totally. stuff back. Yeah. Yeah. And like the postpartum period is the riskiest time for developing oh. an eating disorder. Oh, so, yes. And I the anxiety mean, is sky high anyway. And this was my other annoyance mm-hmm. when I was following these, these dietitians. No sugar before two. Mm-hmm. And then after two, you have to get strategic and make sure it's always around. Mm. And it was like that switch. It was like mm. being so vigilant about keeping sugar out of the diet. And then all of a sudden I have to change my mindset and be relaxed about it. Uh-huh. Like that was hard for me. I did not like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, and I am one of those dietitians who's, who's talking about giving your kid opportunities to self-regulate. I haven't, I don't think talked much about the underage two group one way or the other, but you know, there is this pressure, right. To get it right. I'm getting the impression that, you know, prior to your kid being 18 months and you even learning about this, you felt like you were in a groove with feeding your kid. <laughs> I did. I did. I was making muffins that had added sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And that sucks <laughs> that like now these, you know, best practices, cultural expectations, whatever you want to call them, come in and disrupt what you already knew about feeding yeah. your kid, about like trusting your gut and things like that. That is, that is pretty yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we get into um, the overage to that switch where like now they have to have the sugar, because if you keep it out of their diet indefinitely, you're now you're doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> I would, I, I wouldn't ever tell a parent that they're doing something wrong, but right. Um, right, right. I would get curious about whether that was the best approach for the child. Um, yeah. But now in that group, the ages two, I think to, I'll look it up, but it's like two and up, it's like 25 grams of sugar, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I just hate that it has that number attached to it because I can look at the back of my fruit snacks that are 16 grams and the bread that I just made a sun butter and jelly sandwich on that has, you know, this many, but then like, okay, half the time my kids don't even eat their sandwich. So do I get to subtract that from the 25 grams? I know. Like, I know. Uh, like, it's not helpful. It yeah. really isn't helpful. So, and, and with women, I say women, but like anybody who's coming out of disordered eating, you were probably tracking your intake at some point of, yeah. you know, this many carbs, this many macros. So to basically come back in and say it's best practice for raising healthy kids to basically, I mean, I don't know how you do it if you weren't tracking it. Unless you just like straight up had very little sugar in your house at all. Right. Which, I mean, that's an option, but, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you know, but then one day your kid's going to go to a birthday party and you're not going to know how many grams of sugar were in the cake and was it more than 25? And oh. also like literally what do you do if it was more than 25? Like, I know. <laughs> like, I, know. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I've seen parents say like you had enough sugar yesterday, none tomorrow or something like that. But yeah. I think it's unfortunate that... This guideline is there, but there really isn't that much information about why we're doing this, right? Yeah. Like it's easy to to jump to conclusions and say, well, it's to reduce their risk of diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, coming from the Heart Association, yes, it's to the, reduce their risk of heart disease, but like not based mm-hmm. on any actual data though of, of how much it reduces for kids, for how much it reduces heart disease. So parents just get into this confusing situation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like you said earlier, I believe that it came out of babies have small stomachs, their nutrient needs are super high, and they're just learning to eat, they're just being introduced to food. So you know, they're developing their taste preferences. And yeah, like, having sweets or whatever it is, on a regular basis can be competing with those nutrient dense foods. So like, I totally understand that. But I do think that that's different. You know, if they're drinking juice all, all day and now they're not hungry for their meal, that is different than saying zero yeah. grams of sugar. I just think it's different. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. We never really have to worry about the kid liking the sweet flavors, but if your family enjoys like curries for dinner or meatloaf or whatever, like those are savory flavors, you know, 
take care to introduce them so that, you know, your baby is familiar with the foods that your family likes. Like, you know, it's it's not like to make sure that they don't develop a taste for sugar. Right. I mean, you know? they're born with that. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. Breast and milk and formula is sweet. That really gets me. A lot of times I'll see something online about not giving babies sugar and somebody inevitably comes in and comments like kids don't actually need sugar like ever. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, right. Again, you do you. But yeah. I think about, especially with infant formula, every infant formula on the market has some added sugar Mm -hmm. in it, whether it is lactose or corn syrup solids, you literally have to do it. The baby will not be getting the right Right. balance of nutrition if there isn't some source of sugar in there. It is the source of carbohydrates in that formula. Exactly. And of course, you know, once kids are older, they're going to be eating crackers and bread and stuff like that. And yes, it is on paper factually true that yeah. they don't need added sugar for the balance of nutrition in their bodies. But socially, mm-hmm. I think we could say that they do like yeah. need an opportunity oh, yeah. to like regulate the the sugar. And yeah. even the dietary guidelines for Americans are not factoring in that at all. I no. don't think. No, yeah. I agree. Which, which is frustrating. And honestly, as dietitians, like the, the people who become dietitians, mm-hmm. uh, we like to look at the numbers. We like to say, mm-hmm. oh, let's get you some more vitamin C in your diet or, or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that we now have a population of whether, you know, it's a one-on-one consult or somebody talking on social media of dietitians who we like to have this neat little 25 grams, zero grams or whatever. And, and here's a day's worth of eating that meets this 25 grams deal or whatever, a zero grams deal. And sure, like you could cook all that stuff yourself. You could probably even do it with processed foods, which, I, you know, I don't use that yeah. in a negative way. Like I definitely yeah. like my one kid yeah. is not allergic to nuts. She gets Uncrustables and they are straight up processed. Yeah, um, totally. But you could do it. But what does that do to your mental space? What does that do to the amount of time that you're spending prepping these foods if you don't have that time already? And then I think the most important question is, what does it do to the kid? Like I've been in a lot of situations where I don't know where these you know, sweets are coming from throughout the day. Like in the summer, maybe we had Pop-Tarts for breakfast, but now we're at the pool and somebody's handing out popsicles. What does it do to the kid to say, no, you had Pop-Tarts for breakfast, so even though you see all your friends having popsicles, like no popsicle. I don't know if people actually do oh. that. I, right. I don't. Right. Like, Hopefully not. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I think, I think that this is where we're both going with this is that we want our kids to have a healthy relationship with food. We don't want them to have this good food, bad food mentality. We okay. don't want them getting to high school or maybe even earlier saying, oh, I had this much sugar today. I was so bad for that. I need to restrict the next day. Maybe, you know, try to eliminate it completely, end up binging. Like we know that these things happen. And it's not built into, it's not research that is um, factored into when these guidelines are being put together. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's harmful because parents, you know, who want their kids to develop a positive relationship with food when it comes to sweets and handling sweets, you know, in the beginning, they don't know, you know, they're not aware of sweets Mm -hmm. yet. Right. So once they become aware of sweets, then yes, I would suggest intentionally incorporating them into their meals and their snacks. And that might happen before two, might happen at two, Mm -hmm. might, you know, if you have an older one like I do, and we regularly offer her sweets with her meals and snacks, like it's probably going to happen earlier with mm. my younger son. Yeah, I, th- I think we mistakenly make this leap of American Heart dietary guidelines say no added sugar before age two. And they don't say anything about helping your kid develop a healthy relationship with sugar. It's just no. like for best health, right? But we make this leap of if I can do it, if I can hold off on sugar until age two, that will help them have a healthier relationship with sugar. Right. And That's, where does that come from? Like, Where would that come from? We're just no, inventing right. that. Right? <laughs> totally. Exactly. That's uh, exactly right. Like we're not like – it comes back to like the taste preference, right? Yeah. And I guess Which, there's um, – 
kind of a mistaken belief that if you were to introduce a lot of sugar to a baby, which is not something that I would recommend, (laughs) then that is what is going to set them up for a childhood of being obsessed with sugar. When in reality, we see the opposite. When I see kids in my practice who are obsessed with sugar, it is not because they have been given too much of it. It is because they have not been given enough of it. Right. Right. So it's, it's, I guess it's just call it what it is, it's diet culture. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, but then even this idea that Ellen Satter says, give some opportunities for unlimited sugar, you know, whether it's Halloween or just cookies after school or whatever, like this comes from the Ellen Satter Institute. We could probably say like, it's kind of sounds like a good idea, regardless of whether it comes from the Ellen Satter Institute. But people ask me, well, when can I start that? Because I've heard you can't start that until age four. I'm like, oh, I don't think Ellen Satter said that. (laughs) Um, Or or another one I hear is you don't have to start it until the kid's like learn about sugar. Like, you know, you can more or less have this bubble when they're in childhood or early childhood of no sugar or very limited sugar because they're not getting the snacks at school or, you know, you're able to make the food at home, the muffins at home that only have bananas or whatever. So mm-hmm. once they catch wind of it, which is going to happen, okay, then then you want to do the unlimited sugar. But again, that's not based on like research or yeah, I don't know where yeah. that comes from. Right. Um, right, right, right. My fear with that is, and I'm speculating a lot on this too. So I'd love to know your okay. experience, but cool. if we hold off until the kids like catch wind of it, yeah. are they then, we, we just don't know if they're more likely to be really into sugar or not. I've seen kids that go crazy sure. for it. And I've seen kids that it works totally fine with, you know, that they're yeah. like, oh, okay, sugar is a thing now. Great. But my fear is the risk of the child saying, you know, like, why didn't I know about this sooner? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. You know, that is like <laughs> such a good point that I didn't even really think about. Mm. But yeah, that I can see that happening. Yeah. That may have happened with my daughter, honestly. Oh. She loves, she loves sweets, mm-hmm. loves them, yeah. you know, and she has ever since she was introduced to them. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, here's, there's another nature versus nurture thing here. I've got two daughters, the older one, sweets are her favorite thing. She's going to preferentially choose, like if she gets, you know, the, the lunch plate with the sandwich and the carrots and the cookie, she's absolutely eating the cookie first, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with right. that. Right. And my other kid, and I don't think I've parented her any differently, sometimes forgets all about the cookie, right? Yeah. So right. Right, uh, right. this idea that we can control the environment, like if we do the right steps in terms of don't introduce sugar until age two, then do sometimes sugar, age four, do unlimited sugar. You know, I mean, I, I don't blame you. Like parents want a roadmap to how the right. heck we do this, right? Right. But a lot of this just falls on the kid's individuality. I absolutely. Think. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and all that just confuses. There's so much confusion out there. I know, I know. <laughs> well, you mentioned your daughter still loves sweets. Like how does yeah. it go now in your house offering like what you offer? Yeah. So, you know, she loves sweets. She has sweets every single day. We don't actually always have dessert. I kind of just like see what she's like when she's in the mood for it. Cause I'm not like a, I have to have dessert after dinner every day. It's just not how I am. I usually like have it as a snack later at night or whenever I'm in the mood for it. Really? That's just how it is. Flexible. And, um, so that's kind of how it is with her. It's like, if she wants something, then, you know, is it close to a meal? Is it close to a snack time where I can incorporate it in? Every Saturday, we go get donuts after dance class, and she loves that. And I don't restrict her. She can have as many as she wants. You know, I'll serve it with lunch. And serving it with meals and snacks is is great. And, and, and because of that, she does not view it differently than other foods. She really, she loves them, but she can leave it if she's had enough or if she wants more, you know, or if we have it with, uh, with dinner or whatever, she absolutely will take a bite of something and other foods. And I can tell that she just, 
she listens to her body and sometimes she has multiple servings of something and sometimes she takes a bite and leaves it and runs off. And so, yeah. That's oh. how we do things. And I, and yeah. And you know, I use sugar like as needed, like just recently she started getting into the chocolate milk. It's like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know? And she loves maple syrup and I'm not counting her grams of sugar and I'm not worried about it. And she's listening and I'm offering, I'm doing all the things that I can do. I'm offering her a variety of foods and you know, the rest is up to her. I love that. I mean, you're speaking my language. This is basically all I talk about. But, yeah. um, so if you can put yourself back into that place of your orthorexia coming back a little bit for you when you're feeding your kids, what would you tell another parent who is in that space maybe right now of being really worried about this balance and and maybe not even trusting her own judgment on like, can I let my kid have unlimited sweets or can I, you know, basically defy government guidelines? Yeah, totally. (laughs) what, What would you say to that parent? Oh, I would say definitely try to relax about around food and just know that like stressing about healthy eating is not healthy. And so there might be some work that you have to do for yourself. You know, if you have a lot of anxiety around sugar, maybe work with an intuitive eating dietitian to help you calm your fears around sugar. It's demonized in our culture. You know, sugar is not toxic. That that message about it not being toxic is tough. I agree. (laughs) It is a simple molecule that our bodies know how to process. Yes. Uh, We would die if they didn't. But, you know, the other day I was looking for just an article to send to someone that kind of debunked sugar being toxic. And I think I just Googled like, is sugar toxic or something like that? And on Google, page after page after page after page of major media organizations publishing articles that basically said, you know, the whole like, your brain responds to it in the same way as cocaine. And, you know, I'm very research based, I don't want to say that there was never a study that showed that your brain lights up the same way as it does with cocaine. (laughs) But what I have heard is your brain lights up that way when you give your kid a hug, you know, it's like the pleasure center, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and it's okay to have pleasure from food. You should have pleasure from the foods that you eat. It's okay that kids like sugar. You're not doing anything wrong. If if your kid gets some sugar, don't take this guideline as a rule. Don't turn it into a rule like I did. You can be flexible. You can look at your situation, trust your judgment. And that's what I would say. If it doesn't feel right, then you need to listen to yourself. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And, and really just ask yourself like, what's coming up for you? You know, why am I having this like charged emotion around sugar and is it valid? You know, Mm -hmm. can be really helpful. And I know for parents who have their own disordered relationship with food, whether in the past or present, wanting your kid to not experience that is huge. And the, the, reason that we see claims that sugar is addictive is that even with adults, when it is not regularly in your diet, like when people try to quit sugar altogether, you know, and they they feel the draw back to it, they binge when they finally Mm -hmm. let themselves have it, you know, that's when the brain lights up, right? Mm -hmm. That Like if you put, I'm totally speculating. (laughs) I think if you put... (laughs) the brain of someone with a healthy relationship with sugar under, I don't know, an MRI or whatever they use, you would not see it light up quite as much as if they had been off of sugar for two months or whatever. And then like finally got some, I would like to see a research study on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, right. Like we do know that when you restrict foods, certain foods, you know, when you do get it, you do taste mm-hmm. it with more intensity mm-hmm. and you crave it more. And yeah. Yeah. And the, the irony is that parents don't want their kids to experience that, that push and pull of, you know, trying to do it right, but then, you know, binging <laughs> and they don't want that for the kids. Nobody wants that for their kids. No. But I guess the misstep is potentially saying, well, if, 
if they are never or, or only minimally exposed to it in the first place, then they won't end up like me, right? When it's right, it's the opposite. It's, it's opposite. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's hard. It's hard to do, um, especially if a parent hasn't worked through all this stuff for themselves. Yeah. Or, you know, we haven't even talked about weight. You could be like, yeah, Diana, that's all well and good, but I'm not happy with my weight and I don't want sugar to contribute to that. Or I'm afraid about my kid's weight and I don't want sugar to contribute to that, you know? So yeah. there's a lot to unpack. There um, is. There well. is. Another thing that's helped me around sugar and like being able to liberalize it with my daughter has been looking back at how I grew up and seeing what parts of it I would do the same and what parts of it I would do differently. Because, you know, we're more aware of nutrition these days than our parents were, you know, to an unhealthy extent, right? You know, I grew up on sugary cereal and Pop-Tarts for breakfast and my parents were not counting. Our Halloween candy was, you know, have as much as you want. And all that stuff has contributed to having, a, for me, having a positive relationship with food and getting back to that, mm. you know? So I always just try to remind myself of those things, just like ha- them having a relaxed attitude around sugar was beneficial for me. Mm, and so yeah. I try to just make sure that I'm doing the same thing in that way. Yeah, I remember that from my childhood too, like the, the Capri Sun pouches or yeah. the, <laughs> what are those? Um, the gusher, gushers. Gushers, yes. Yeah, I, oh um, the, or, those... They're like Kool Aid in like a plastic. It's like terrible <laughs> yes. <for> the environment. <laughs> yes. Yes. But there, there is one thing I wanted to point out is yeah. when we do see research that's like, you know, it ends up in the media, sugar is, you know, contributing to whatever. It, it's not that that is entirely untrue. So I don't want parents to get the impression to be like super relaxed, like let your kid go get a high C or whatever, like yeah. nine times a day. Yeah. Um, this is where we fall back on the structure, right? Right, right, <laughs> of, of, right. Of including it with meals. But when we see that data, it's almost always that sugar's in the, the headline of the article or the research study. But when we unpack it, we see that it's sugar-sweetened beverages. And I am not a person who is going to say, don't let your kids have soda ever, or don't give your kids juice boxes or whatever. I'm not going to say we should never do it. But when we, we look at the way that I think about it is when we are relying on our own body's signals to eat, we tend to get the mix of carbohydrates, fat, and protein that we need to do all the operations that our bodies need to do. But when any one of those is out of proportion, and in our food system, it is most likely to be carbohydrates and coming from sugar, then we're going to see health outcomes. And what we face right now is, you know, grazing on sugar-sweetened beverages all day because they're available. But if it happened to be protein that was taking up 60% of somebody's diet, and not enough mm-hmm. carbs, we'd see a whole other mm-hmm. set of health outcomes. We just don't see that because that's not what right. our food system is. Right. So it's less about sugar and sugar-sweetened beverages are evil, and it's more about how can we provide our kids with the structure to rely on their body signals to get that mix of protein, carbohydrate, and fat. Yeah. But that is tricky because without counting it as a parent <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> um, and, and this is this is the kind of message that's really not in the media much at all, is that we do see, Ellen Satter calls it eating competence, the intuitive eating people call it intuitive eating. And we do see that when people make decisions based on what seems good in the moment, their dietary quality more or less matches what the, what the dietary right. guidelines tell us. You know, they, they get the foods that they need to fuel their bodies throughout the day. It's that yeah. misconception that if you're going to do intuitive eating, well, you know, it's going to be all donuts all the time. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, exactly. But it all comes back to trusting our kids to actually do that from the food we provide and, you know, in- intentionally put in some structure. And, you know, I, for as much as I talk about 
letting your kids have sugar. Like there are times probably yesterday where my kid asked for something and I said, you know, that would be really good. Let's have that tomorrow. And I was maybe making that decision out of, um, you know, I think she's maybe like pushing my buttons. It's about to be bedtime. I just want to brush this kid's teeth and get on with my night, you know? Right, 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 Um, right, right. Yes. So I, I think this is the trickiest part of it is parents, especially if they don't trust their own relationship with sugar, to figure out what the balance is between incorporating it, um, but also having that structure and leaving room for the other foods that are necessary for, for a kid's body. Definitely. So you've got an eight-month-old. I do. Um, what are the next one year and four months <laughs> until <laughs> this kid is two probably going to yeah. look like for this kid? Yeah. So far, you know, we haven't offered him sweets, obviously. And my plan is when he starts noticing, you know, my older one or us all having it and he wants some of it, then I'm going to give it to him, you know, and I'm going to start incorporating it, intentionally incorporating it with his snacks and meals. And that age will likely be before two years of age is my, is my bet. Especially with the big sister. Exactly. I have this vision and I think I even have a photo of it of my, my kids are almost exactly two years apart. And so my older one was turning, I think probably three and my younger one was 11 months old at the time. And she's at the birthday party. All the three-year-olds are having cupcakes. And I was like, here's your cupcake kid. Cause like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I'm sure like at that age, they just kind of smash it to smithereens. Like they, they actually exactly. like physically can't eat all of it. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Totally. Right. But you know, yeah. I just, I, I can picture that in my head and I love it. You know, that was a fun birthday party for all of us. Right. And I didn't have to like get my mom to like usher the baby inside so that she didn't see the cupcakes or, oh, yes. I, I mean, some kids, honestly, some kids, at 11 months would literally not know what a cupcake was and would not even show interest in it. Right. Right. And you can roll with that too. Um, Right. I just, I don't want to perpetuate any parents like, Oh, okay. He, he doesn't know what sugar is yet. Okay. This is like, this is good. Like I would rather see parents relax from the start, even if it is 11 months old, like let's see what happens if this kid gets a cupcake, you know? Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I kind of went from, you know, Isla being 12-ish months, getting looks of ice cream cone, having muffins with sugar in it to then going down this path of I have to keep sugar away from her. And it just really, it just wasn't, Yeah, I don't think it was good for me or her. Yeah, yeah. And I also don't love that you you were following your intuition and then it yeah. was these cultural messages that started to interfere with that. Um, yeah. I don't love yeah. that. I don't love that either. I don't either. Yeah. One thing that has helped me, this always sticks with me in one of Ellen Satter's books. She says that, you know, just because a food has sugar in it doesn't negate the other nutrients that it has in it, Mm -hmm. you know? So that has always sticked with me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to eat like a dry bran muffin, like because you either didn't add sugar or you're trying to only do the bananas or something like that. If it does have a moderate amount of sugar and your kid is not otherwise going to get the fiber from that muffin or whatever it is, then, you know, dietitians take food science courses and they talks about Mm -hmm. sugar having like a certain mouth feel or it contributes to the browning when you bake something. Um, And I think we're not acknowledging that. Right, 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 right. There's like actual like real purposes to add sugar to foods. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any advice for parents navigating those messages? You know, because it's especially hard. I imagine if you're not a dietitian and be like, all the dietitians are saying no sugar under age two. Yeah, right. I mean, I think I would just say if you're following those dietitians and it feels like really rigid, like it felt like for me. And it's getting in the way of you raising a child who has a positive relationship with food. Then I would unfollow them and follow some other dietitians (laughs) who (laughs) 
to want to help you raise a child with a positive relationship with food and um, just trust your gut and trust your intuition and, you know, do what you can relax, you know, again, don't make this guideline a role. And that's what I, would say. I think that's important too, though, because if you are getting that message about the no added sugar and it's, it hasn't been interfering with your life and you like making muffins with just bananas or whatever. We keep talking about yeah, bananas. I know. <laughs> um, and like you were like, wait, I, everything was fine. Now I'm supposed to give my 18 month old sugar. Like you don't have to do that either. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. It's, it's more about, you know, I was just listening to another podcast about when we choose to put uh, a mom on a certain medication, like when they're breastfeeding or pregnant. Yes, some of it might get to the baby, but the bigger conversation is what is it doing to the parent? Because the parent always needs to be in a good mental health space to even be taking care of this kid. So we can look at it that way of if everything's going fine and you haven't introduced your kid to sugar yet, but like you didn't know this was a problem until you heard me and Jackie talking about it. Right, right, <laughs> Don't right, worry. Right, right. Um, but yeah. if it is compromising your mental health or yes. if you can see that like your kid's going to be upset if he's the only kid in daycare without a cupcake or whatever, yeah. then like don't let these nutrition guidelines start to compromise our mental health, I think right. would be yeah. a better way to put it. Yeah, definitely. And you also, you don't have to be a rebel either, right? Like, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not <laughs> like, doing that. I'm kid's going to get all the sugar. <laughs> yeah, pancake syrup um, on everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that daycare situation was a tough situation because I did speak to them. So I don't know, like, if you find yourself in that situation around daycare and the the food choices that they're offering. Again, I'd say I've found it so much better to just relax about the situation. I don't have control over everything. And I've even come to the point where, you know what? It's good that she's being exposed to a variety of foods. And I have the option to send in something different if I want Mm -hmm. to go with that. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't have to be restricted. Adding in foods, not taking away is definitely something I always recommend too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to look different for every family, I think is another. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Jackie, this has been a really awesome conversation. I'm so glad that we had this talk. You mentioned uh, your practice and you work with families. Can you tell us a little bit more about where to find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Jackie Rogers underscore RD. And I also have a Facebook group. It's called Nutrition with Jackie, Anti-Diet Community for Moms and Families. Love that. I am a big fan of that kind of work. Yes. (laughs) I will put links to those in today's show notes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can continue the discussion in my free Facebook group, Raising Anti-Diet Kids, or on the Anti-Diet Kids Instagram page. You'll find links to both in today's show notes. And if you're enjoying the show, I would so appreciate you leaving a rating and review in your podcast player. It really helps new listeners find the show. And of course, I always love reading them. Until next time, embrace the mess.